head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome. It's episode 242 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. the Podcod, Shawnee Podcast, Shawnee Content, Shawnee Patreon. Lots of names there. Joined today by Philip O'Connor to preview this huge... Mm, uh, it's, it's just a big event it's just a really big event UFC 246 uh, this weekend as Conor McGregor takes on Donald Cerrone and if you're just listening for the Conor McGregor Donald Cerrone talk we're going to have loads of that probably for the first half an hour 45 minutes of this and then we talk a little bit about the rest of the card and maybe just go through it a small bit not, not in depth or anything like that because I started looking at it last night and I haven't <laughs> I hadn't really looked at it before but anyway we'll get into that Philip how are you how are things with you Jeez, I'm not too bad. Happy New Year to you. Happy I'm New sitting Year on one side of the bed here, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my suitcase is on the other side of the bed and half my clothes are in there and my video tripod is in there and the whole, my whole life is a mess. And in about uh, 14 hours time, I'm taking off and going to Los Angeles and then I'm going on to Las Vegas for this UFC 246. Not a title fight, but my God, is it one of the biggest fights we've ever seen. Is there anything more... Uh, well, maybe there is things more stressful, but how stressful is it? Like, even even me got up to Dublin to this media day, and I need my microphone, I need this cable, I need these batteries, I need my laptop, I, and every little thing. It's just such a pain in the hole trying to remember everything. And I can't imagine like packing for a week in Vegas as well. On top of that, it's, it must be pretty stressful, is it? Yesterday, I had four different camera bags that I was trying, and I couldn't find the one I knew would work, right? Mm. Because you don't want to attract attention to yourself when you're wandering around Los Angeles or Las Vegas, that kind of thing. So you want to be discreet. You want to get everything into the bag. You don't. You want to be able to put your hand on everything in the bag as well, right? Mm. It's not like you, nobody wants to be rooting around the bottom of a, of a rucksack looking for a battery, right? So you want to be able to pop up and go to war as soon as you take the camera out. About Jesus, Sean, I must have spent I'm, I'm probably two days into it now doing this, you know, but I finally got a, I found the bag I was looking for last night behind the door. One of my kids and hidden it behind the door and I found it and then life started to come, to come together but it's it's always different like you know what I do you know the kit I bring to a press conference in Stockholm is completely different for the kit that I'm going to bring to Las Vegas because in Las Vegas I have to be able to do anything right mm-hmm. so you know if rows break out on the street in Las Vegas I want to be able to broadcast live to the news agencies that I work for so I have to bring that kit as well you know and it's just it's fucking ridiculous altogether so at that point you know I was only you know thanks be to God this woman here that uh, my wife still loves me and she folded a few t-shirts for me because otherwise I'd be going out of here in my underwear in the morning and nobody wants to see that on the diary of a Sunday, you know? They, they definitely don't. There's enough of that going around Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Exactly, yeah. Uh, what's, I suppose, you know, I, I talked to lots of lads, and over, in, oh, actually, good, a good shout-out here, Patreon, sign up, patreon.com forward slash if you're my podcast. I have, uh, with Philip as well, I have four of the biggest MMA journalists in the world. The first up, I'll give you everyone a hint here, Ariel Hawani. Monday morning, I have an interview with Ariel Hawani. I talked to him, and I talked to lots of people. But the first thing I want to ask you, Philip, is about that. And sign up, patreon.com forward slash if you're my podcast. What's the level of anticipation? Obviously, you're over and based in Sweden, you know, I suppose based in in, uh, in person in Sweden, but a lot of your online stuff is in, in the States covering basketball and in Ireland as well covering things here. What do you think, the, and you've, I think you have a good, a good uh, you know, a good thought on what, what it's like for different places in the world. What do you think is the different levels of anticipation maybe in Sweden, in America and in Ireland? 
I think this is a weird one, Sean, because as soon as the fight was announced, right, we have a thing now. It's like we go to DEFCON 1, right? Connor's fighting in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I said on your podcast before that we always have hotel rooms booked in Las Vegas around UFC events in case Connor's name goes on the card because he's still the biggest story in the game, right? Mm-hmm. But this time around, like usually as soon as the fight's announced or just before a fight's announced, we might hear from, you know, we never hear from that shield that's usually on this podcast, which whose name will go unmentioned, you know? Yeah. But we usually find out that there's something going on so we know that kind of thing. And this time around, I started to contact the editors that I would work for. You'll find me now next week. I'll be writing a lot for the Irish Times. I'll be on the Reuters news agency. I'll be doing bits and pieces for uh, SNTV and all these people, right? But this time around, previously, immediately, they'd just go, yeah, that's it. You're booked. That whole week from the Wednesday, all fight week, that's it. You're working for us. That's fine, right? Mm -hmm. And this time around, like, I was still talking to people yesterday about what they wanted, right? So they're kind of, you know, they're not sure if they want in or they want out, right? Previously, we knew what we were getting. Connor was a rising star. He was getting towards a title fight. He was winning a title fight. He was winning a second title fight um he didn't get the lightweight shot but he took another fight he lost that and then he went for the redemption against nate diaz then eddie alvarez then floyd mayweather then habib all of those fights had a purpose this one doesn't right the only purpose that this fight really has is the first step on the road to redemption for conor mcgregor right now the wider world is not sure if it's interested because he's become such a complex character the rise that he's made, the money that he's made, the brand that he has become is much more complicated. He's now, you know, a tailor. He's now a whiskey distiller. He's now a fighter. He could be a movie star soon enough. He's been involved in video games, all these things. He's been up in court more times than he probably cares to remember for speeding and for the odd assault and, for instance, slapping phones into people's hands. And, you know, the world doesn't really know what it thinks of him anymore. And this is what I can't wait to find out, is to get to Las Vegas and to find out what the fans think, what the journalists think, what the UFC thinks, what the whole response to him is going to be at the T-Mobile Arena next Saturday night. It's funny because you said there that you don't, they don't know what to think and everyone I've spoken to over the last while, we all have like our, our opinions and what we predict but no one knows. Like usually you go into a fight, like a couple of weeks ago there Usman fought uh, Covington I think like if this happens, this you know it'll go this way, if this happens it'll go this way and if this guy wins he'll fight him, if this guy wins he'll fight you know and they'll move on. We, we kind of have an idea of what's going to happen. In this we have we have absolutely no idea. I re- like in so many different things. Like, how is the fight going to go? We'll get into that in a while. But like, how well prepared is McGregor going to be? Is he going to look the same? Does he still have the drive? Is he going to be able to beat him? Is Cowboy going to be good enough to capitalize on it? If not, if he wins, what's he going to do? Who's he going to fight? Yeah. We don't know. If he loses, who's he going to fight? Is he going to retire? We don't know. Are the fans going to show up for him? Are people going to f- uh, travel from Ireland? We don't know. <laughs> you know. And if they are, they're going to be like completely on his side. Or will Cowboy have some of the fans on his side, being an American hero and all of that? There's such. Has there? There's never really been this level of unknown with Conor McGregor entering a fight, has there? No, and then, you know, we have to take into account the fact, I think I told you the story about before about all the young lads who used to talk to me about Conor McGregor on the football fields here in Sweden and yeah. at the local shopping centre when I'm wandering through it. Everybody here in Sweden knows I'm Irish. Everybody stops and says, hey, Conor, Conor, you know, one of my kids gets called McGregor in school because our surname is O'Connor. You know, that's the way it works here. And they all wanted to talk about him. And then they turned against him after the incident where he tried to push the glass of whiskey at Habib there when we were in the Radio City Music Hall. And they turned against him in an incident there, you know. And now they're tuning in because, you know, they think think he sort of jumped the shark they think that you know they don't like him anymore he pissed them off and that kind of thing and they want to see him get beat that's their reason for tuning in right but if we back up the truck just a little bit more the question we need to ask ourselves first about this fight is why 
right? Why this fight? Why Cerrone? Why in January of all months? Because Connor, I don't think he ever likes to fight in January because it means, you know, you're watching your weight over Christmas, you're training over Christmas, right? And I think it literally is that. I think the word that we're all going to be coming back to this week is redemption, right? That Connor, Connor is the man with everything on the line here. For Cerrone, the why is very, very simple, right? This is his payoff. This is his pension. Uh, Donald, you've been a wonderful fighter. You picked up the phone every single time. You've gone in there, no matter the opponent, the weight class, the length of the camp, whatever, you've gone in there, you've done the thing, you've, you know, you've suffered your knockouts, you've had your wins, you know, what was it, was it 70 knockouts, 10 submissions, or, or mm-hmm. somewhere there, yeah. the most wins in UFC history, the there around. you go. Yeah, 17 submissions, was, 10 knockouts, I think. Yeah. Uh, 10 knockouts, yeah, I always go mix those two up, and no doubt there'll be listeners going, absolutely bananas in their cars now, <laughs> suck it up, lad, suck it right. up, it's going to be a long week, but, but uh, you know, so he's done all these things for the company, Donald Cerrone deserves this shot, right, give it to him, right. But for Connor, you know, and this is the thing that I can't get my head around because there's two ways of doing it, right? Cerrone's not a tomato can, right? You can't just put him up there and say, Connor's going to beat him. This is, you know, to get a season off to a start. We're just going to sort of lob him a bit of raw meat there. He beats Cerrone, he goes on. I think this is a very, very risky fight for Connor because, you know, he's the man with everything to lose. If he loses this fight, you know, how many fights will that be? You know, he's lost against Khabib. He lost against Nate. He beat Eddie Alvarez very convincingly. Um, you know, he he beat Nate after a war of attrition. And let's face it, you know, it could have gone either way. I still think that he won uh, the rematch there. I, th- I don't think he won it uh, handsomely, but he say he still won it. He did enough of the first couple of rounds for me. And he took the third or fourth as well. You know, so I mean, he did win that three rounds to two. But, you know, this is really fraught with danger. And the only person who can do anything about that is Conor McGregor. He mm. has to get in there. He has to prepare. He has to watch the weight. He has to watch the and then when the cage door opens he has to go in there and not get caught up in this thing I wrote before that he needs to forget the myth he's built around himself and I can only hope that that's what he's doing because I don't think you know if you love him as a man or hate him as a man that's beside the point but the athlete Conor McGregor and the promise of that and you know what we all enjoyed watching so much you know I'd hate to see a situation where he decided at you know the age of 30, 31 that that's it I'm done you know I mean I don't think anybody wants to see that outcome and for that to happen he needs to go out and he needs to beat Cerrone probably reasonably quickly yeah see uh, you you hit on the right thing there the redemption i think because we, we'll get to the fight and stuff shortly but like the redemption of conor mcgregor is a very interesting one because i think he's doing it the right way if he's serious about this redemption because he talks about this season and i've talked to you i think about it on the podcast before i talked to graham i talked anyone listening to this podcast knows that's what i was saying he needs to get in there he needs to get three fights in the space of a year and that's the way he gets back to being his very best but that's only in sporting terms you know outside mm-hmm. of the cage as well there's a very different thing we look at uh, you know tyson fury is always the example i give i was talking to pete the other day he mentioned tiger woods and you know there's other people as well who have done it through the years and the way they have done it has always been by getting the public back on their side through talking about it and also fighting or, you know, Tiger Woods case going back winning the Masters. You know, that's how you get people back on your side. Conor McGregor hasn't really done much talking. Now, that might change in the, in the next week and hopefully it does. He, I know he spoke to Ariel there and it'll be out on, on Monday. Uh, and he's due to do this media day as well. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes for him. And then it'll be interesting as well, I think, to see how the fight goes for him. Because I, I was talking to, you know, lots of people about this fight over the last week. And lots of people were saying this was... Like, there's a little bit of downplaying, I think, of the importance of this fight. Now, McGregor's had probably three or four more important fights than this in his career. If he loses this, you know, people will remember it, but it'll just be... It's a midterm fight for McGregor, but it's a a very important midterm fight because he... And it's not just for the fight. If he comes out on on Wednesday and goes to the... 
or choose it whenever he goes to the media that then goes to the press conference you know takes the piss out of Donald Zeroni rattles him you know kind of wins that battle then goes in knocks him out in the first round we have a very different debate in our hands because the things Conor McGregor has done before won't go away people will still remember him and maybe there'll be other things in the future as well that 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 happen or things in the past that will come back up uh, to haunt him but this is a big step in moving past that in a lot of people's minds more a lot of people won't forget it either but uh, this is a big step for redemption this week but going in there beating San- Donald Cerrone and talking very well like what do you think about the, the uh, we know about the sporting issue like if he wants to come back and he wants to be this great fighter again he has to win this fight he has to beat Masvidal or Gage. he has to, maybe it doesn't have to be to be but he has to win some of those fights or be competitive anyway at least over the next few years but do you think that public image those interviews and the way Conor McGregor speaks is a big part of it as well because it's always been a big part of it hasn't it I think so, yeah. I'm just going to pick up a couple of points that you made there before we get into the meat of this, because this to me is what the week is all about, right? I actually think that this is the most important fight of his career because of when it's happening and what has gone before it, right? You can always say that the next fight is the most important, but I think, as I mentioned there just a few moments ago, right, he has everything to lose in this fight, and when you think about it, very, very little to win, right? He's the favourite. He's going to be expected to beat Cerrone, even at 170. He's going to be the favourite to beat him, right? If Cerrone loses, you know, he can waltz off into the sunset or he can fight Michael Johnson the following week. He doesn't care, right? That's, it's nothing to him. He's not in the title race. Connor wants to get back to the top. He wants the BMF belt, the lightweight belt, maybe the welterweight belt, whatever it happens to be. You know, he wants to get in there. But I think... Um, I remember uh, when Graham made the film or when Graham and the lads made the film uh, the documentary Notorious about Conor McGregor if you haven't seen it I think it was on Netflix I'm not sure if it's still there great film going back to you know when Conor was trained in a shed in Dublin that kind of thing right but I went over and I interviewed Connor for the Reuters news agency in a hotel in Dublin, right? And it was remarkable because it was the one time, because you know what Connor's like? He said things about Dennis Seaver. He said things about Chad Mendes. He said things about, you know, uh, oh, Jose no. Aldo's favela and all that kind of thing, right? And he really did. And half of that was to whip up the crowd. But I think a lot of that was to whip up himself as well, right? I don't think he's going to do that to Cowboy because I think he respects Cowboy. And if you saw the little excerpt from I, it's still hugely respectful. I don't know if Connor's going to go and give him both barrels and call, you know, Cerrone a Muppet and get on with it and that kind of thing. I can't see that happening time around but the time I went over I travelled over from Dublin to interview it was a Thursday evening right or sorry it was a Friday evening that I was I was interviewing and I went over to Dublin I went into the hotel and for the first time ever in Conor McGregor's career I got a phone call from his PR person saying Conor's ready to go I was supposed to interview him at 6 o'clock can you be here at a quarter to 6 right mm-hmm. and I'm always you know way ahead of myself so I was around the corner you know five minutes away I said I could be there right now right and I walked in Conor was after pre-recording the Late Late Show and this is after Mayweather but before uh, he got back into sort of you know serious MMA training and that kind of thing so uh, just around the time of the premiere which would have been October November a couple of years ago and the first thing we sat down and the first thing I had to take up was what he said when he was on tour with Floyd Mayweather that uh, tour the incident with Bellator the fact that he used the word faggot backstage with Artem Lobo was it, was it Artem in some fight that somebody had somewhere I think it was in Poland maybe who Artem was fighting he, said, yeah. he called somebody a faggot that kind of thing whatever it was it was in the UFC I, in Poland wasn't it? yeah, yeah was, that yeah. was the word you know? and I said Connor, you know what about these things right what I didn't know at the time, I only found out that night when I saw it on TV, was that Connor had already apologised on the Late Late Show. And the first thing he said to me was, look, at, there's no handbook for this game. I said things, I regret them. I'm a father myself now, but I'm learning as I go along. I say these things and I screw up on that, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, to me, that was a moment of redemption, right? Because I literally, and I remember it to this day, Sky News were there, everybody else was there. But, you know, I don't know whether it was thanks to our Shield friend on this podcast now, but I got in first of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So Connor says this to me, major news agencies sitting waiting outside. I went outside, I typed up the thing straight away and I sent off and it went around the world that Connor was after apologising for these remarks that he made right Mm -hmm. and that to me was 
in, in that moment, in my eyes, Connor grew as a man, right? Because he was able to say, I've done something wrong here and I apologize for it. And it wasn't, I apologize if people were offended. It was, I did something wrong and I'm fucking taking that. I'm owning that. And that to me uh, meant that he grew in my eyes. Subsequently, he's fallen down again, right? You know, he's, you know, this is not the road to Damascus where, you know, you fall down and once you, you get up again and you're saved, right? Mm-hmm. He's had his instance. We've all seen the video of him punching that man in the bar. We've all seen him slapping the phone in people's hands. We've all heard the rumors that are going around about other things that we can't talk about, right? But what I want to see from this week is not just redemption in the cage. I want to see whether he has redeemed himself. Like I was watching that clip that he put out on the Mac Life. Oscar did a good interview with him, but then he did some training footage and that kind of thing. And it's hard to see. And you could see he was in there. He was enjoying himself and that kind of thing as well. But I'd love to see the growth, not just in Connor the fighter, but in Connor the man. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want him to sit down. I don't want him to get down on his knees in front of the media now on Wednesday and say, lads, I'm sorry for all these shit things that I've done. But, you know, and it, because it's not for me. He doesn't owe me an apology. He doesn't know Sean Sheehan, Severe MMA, PT Carroll, Ariel. He doesn't know any of us an apology. But for himself, for him to be the man that he can be, for him to be the fighter that he can be, for him to be the champion that he can be for him to be uh, the, the person that everybody can look up to again he needs to do that and I think to be honest Sean to be able to sleep at night and to say yes I am a good guy I am a good champion I do deserve everything that, that has brought in there and that's what I want to see because most of all I want to see any fighter and it's not just Connor. it could be Georges Saint-Pierre it could be John Jones it could be anybody especially the lads who have been in trouble I want to see them all walk away from this game healthy with a few bob in their pocket and feeling the better for the experience rather than ended up penniless and bitter and just angry at the whole Mm-hmm. And it's it, that's not a thing that'll happen in one fight or one fight week or one year even. That's a thing that's going to take a long time. And you know, you could talk about Mike Tyson and other people who've done it. And I remember Colin McGregor put up that post about Mike Tyson. I was talking to this about Ariel on Monday as well, and he was kind of saying that you know McGregor put up that post around that time, and things went badly. You know, and he was going that route for a long time. But it feels like in the last few months he's kind of turned that around a little bit. Now, as you said, that that he might fall down again in a week's time. Who who knows? Well, I but I don't know if you remember. Like after the last fight against Khabib, the I wrote for the Irish Times the following Monday, right? And I wrote a piece, and the headline of the piece was Conor McGregor must forget the myth he's built around himself. Yeah. And in that piece, I mentioned two other athletes, right? Mike Tyson, and I mentioned a basketball player called Alan Everson, right? Mm-hmm. And they are famous in the states for being men who had it all, millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars, everything else like that, and they blew it all, right? So Tyson has no money left his house in las vegas is fantastic and the piano that elton john gave him is still there but the house is now owned by the bank right you know all of this just disappeared as quick and when you're on the rise and when you have people around you who won't say no to you you know business advisors and all this kind of thing and partners what have you nobody ever tells you when this is about to go to shit but all of a sudden you're on your own i was actually reading a book by nicholas bentner used to play for arsenal Juventus, that kind of thing Yeah, Lord Bender. Now, a lot of people laugh at Nicholas. I know Nicholas better than most English-speaking journalists would do. You know, we've had our rows in the past, that kind of thing. And I've actually been trying to get hold of him for the last six weeks because I want to talk to him about the book. But he was saying that, you know, when he was earning 50, 60, 70 grand a week, you know, he had no end of mates who were texting him and saying, do you want to go out for dinner? But mm-hmm. as soon as he said, lads, throw a few quid into the pot there, I'll pay the rest of the bill. But everybody throw in 50 quid and they all disappeared, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that's the thing with Connor as well. But I mentioned Mike Tyson in that piece. And, you know, what I was trying to say through the piece was that, you know, again, what I just said there, I don't don't want to see anybody walk away from this game broken, bitter. I want to see them walk away successful, having grown as athletes through it. And the fight game, boxing, as long as I can remember, Sean, has been bitter for the fighters, right? Mm-hmm. No, they always make the least. You see Eddie Hearn, you see everybody else like that, you see this production line. I'm going to meet Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in Los Angeles on Monday, right? And I can't wait to talk to Tyson Fury about this because, you know, he's one of the few who's been to the top, been back down to, you know, taking the elevator to the basement again and is now on his way back up again. And I want to see how he feels. 
and I want to see you know what he what he can tell me about that state of mind and how he was able to rescue himself because he was in a bad way mentally and that's really all that I sort of want out of it you know but I mean for Connor there's there's a big, big risk involved here. I think he can do it, you know, but I think that, you know, I also think that an awful lot of the time there's a lot of people around Connor who really owe him a debt of gratitude, mm-hmm. but not just that. They owe it to help him out. You know, yeah. they owe it to say, Connor, this is not OK. Now, it's difficult because Connor's a very strong willed individual yeah. and he has the money. that Nobody, you know, he can whatever he wants to do. He could do it anyway. I was a little bit disturbed. I don't know. I'm sure you saw the interview with him where yeah. both him and John Kavanagh, they were saying I heard PT talking to Niall about this on Eurobash the other day. And they were saying, you know, the Connor seems to be making a lot of decisions in the camp. Not a big fan of that. You know, I don't mind a fighter or anybody seeming to be the ones who make all the decisions in the camp. But you would hope at some point that there's somebody, you know, a John Kavanagh or an Owen Ruddy. I think Owen did a lot behind the scenes in the Mayweather camp and that kind of thing you would hope that Connor's listening to those people as well and not just thinking that look lads you just carry that bucket there I'll go in and do these rounds yeah. and we get this job done a lot um, of people have asked about that and I, like my opinion on that is that you know you mentioned it there McGregor's a very headstrong person I don't think I don't think there's anyone in the world right now who could actually uh, force Conor McGregor to do something that he doesn't force himself to do if you know what I mean mm. like he is going to uh, put that camp together he is going to do it the way he wants to do it i'm pretty sure about that now you know i might talk to him and he might tell me something different but the, the way john kavanagh said it it didn't shock me what he said but it shocked me that he said it you know john kavanagh saying that conor mcgregor like, i suppose the most shocking part of it was him saying conor mcgregor knows more about mma than all of us put together that was mm-hmm. pretty shocking the fact that he said uh, conor mcgregor puts the camp we're just kind of there to facilitate him that didn't really shock me it shocked me that he said it but i think and I wrote a piece about it before, about John Kavanagh. Like, what John Kavanagh, I think, was great at was getting all the best people in the country together. I think, like, yeah. Sergey is a fantastic wrestling coach. I know he's not from outside the country, but you know what I mean. You know, yeah. Owen, Owen Roddy coming through was a fantastic fighter and turned into a great coach now. I know Tom King was there and he's there with him as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know about it. Most people call him the best jiu-jitsu player in Ireland. And all, fabulous, yeah. yeah, all those those great people. So I think that's what he was great at, and what Conor McGregor, what Conor McGregor is great at, is being not just a great fighter. I think people forget. Uh, and uh, or maybe they don't even know that he's a great mind when it comes to fighting forget about everything outside of it for a second but when it comes to co- fighting conor mcgregor is a fantastic mind i used like i don't think there's anyone on earth who has written as much or talked as much about conor mcgregor in terms of um his ability inside the cage and tactics and gone back then gone back and looked at the fight so much as me i do it in this podcast every day i've wrote, written thousands of words about it in the past and we'll have a lot more of it this week and I've done that a lot, about lots of fighters as well. We come on here and talk every week. And I don't think I've ever seen someone... Uh, uh, John Jones maybe is, is the only other one. As t- uh, tactically adept... Is that the right word? <laughs> you know, as, yeah, in, yeah. As, as tactically good as him. He is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic at that. So, is, when John Kavanagh said that... If John Kavanagh had said that about James Gallagher, I'd be very worried. If John, yeah. John uh, Kavanagh had said that about Kiefer Crosby... Or any of, uh, you know, if John Kavanagh had... Give me a really good fighter. If John Kavanagh had Stipe Miocic and he said that about him, you know, one of the best fighters in the world, I'd be worried because Stipe is the sort of guy who's like really good athletically and he goes in and he does the game plan. His coaches are really, really good as well. But McGregor is a little bit different. Now, I'm a little bit... I'm I'm a little bit worried in the fact that I think if McGregor had maybe someone different that would do that for him or would force him to do that, it might actually be benefit him. But McGregor's never going to do that. You know, he's never going to leave mm-hmm. that camp. It's like, look, it's worked well for him. You can't blame him, and he is really good at himself. But I feel like there's a uh, McGregor's like leaving leaving himself a little bit open there that way. Now, 
another thing before, and I'll get your opinion on that again in a second, but I wanted to talk about McGregor's interview for a second as well, because, yep. you know, you mentioned it there, and, like, everyone I've talked to, and I maybe it's just me, but I, I, I don't care what other people say, I'm going to give my opinion on anyway, what I think. I didn't think he looked great in that interview in terms of the way he spoke. And now, I talked earlier there about being unsure about things and us being unsure about everything. I think Conor McGregor's unsure about things as well. And as he should be, he should be unsure if he still has it. He should be unsure if people will still like him. He should be unsure if people are going to go over and follow him. He has to convince us and he's to convince himself and he's to convince the world that he's still there as a fighter, still there as a fan favourite, as everything. And I think in that interview, I was listening to it and like... The, the thing about Conor McGregor is, if I became an MMA fan today, I went and listened to that interview, and I heard him speak, I said, this guy can speak extremely well, he's confident, he knows what he's saying, he's not afraid to speak in front of the, the media, uh, you know, the media person, the person interviewing, I know it's the Mac life and everything, but I don't think he's that familiar with Oscar in terms of, of interviewing him like that, it was usually Andrew or Graham back in the day or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and he's good at that, but I went back, and I I tell anyone to do the same, go back and watch an interview before the Eddie Alvarez fighter, before the Aldo fighter, one, yeah. one with Andrew back in the day, it's it's completely different in terms of charisma and everything like that. And this is like this is ultra nitpicking it now. But I think he's a mm. different sort of person now. Now, maybe that's because he's older and he's matured, or, or you know, maybe he's doing it on purpose. Maybe he's not. He's trying not to talk it up because he's less confident. Who knows? Maybe maybe he thinks he's going to lose. Maybe he thinks he's not the same. Who knows? Could be jet lagged. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we'll only find out. But what did you kind of think of those interviews and, and the way Kavanaugh and McGregor both spoke? And were you were you kind of shocked by anything, or did did you disagree with me? Did you think they were good? No, I thought there were, you see, the problem about the Mac Life is that that's the in-house publication. And I know he spoke spoke to Ariel as well. And this is absolutely no reflection on Ariel Hawani, who's, the, you know, the greatest MD. Like, he's the goat of MMA journalism, bar no, bar yourself. But that's about it, you know. But, you know, ESPN is the rights holder here, right? Mm-hmm. So, to me... I would have enjoyed it. Like, you know, everybody wants that call. I would love Connor to call me or PC or somebody like that and, and sit down with us and actually talk like adults, right? Because, you know, regardless, Oscar is aware of the fact that he works for the, the MacLife.com. Fantastic journalist. And one of the most promising young journalists in MMA did a great interview and that kind of thing, right? But you're talking to the boss, right? And, you know, and in fairness, Connor was sort of talking to the boss when he was talking to ESPN as well because he has to sell the fight and that kind of thing, yeah. right? So we're not going to get into the controversy. Uh, it, what struck me was I think that Connor is actually trying to tone down the expectations expectation he's trying to tr- tone down the trash talk and that kind of thing and try to you know not be more like other fighters but just try to be a little bit more calm a little bit more relaxed not try to alienate people not try to insult people and that kind of thing as well you have to remember Cerrone is an American right so if you go and insult Cerrone's country or Cerrone you know call him a hillbilly or a hick or a redneck or whatever you know you're going to have the whole T-Mobile arena against you from the very beginning you know so I think he is consciously trying not to go down that route at the moment because you know the the, the sort of the over charismatic Connor, the over energetic Connor, going to cans of monster, the Diaz crew Connor. That's not the Connor we need right now. That's not the Connor Connor needs to be right now either. He needs to be calm. He needs to be clear headed. He needs to be analytical because you know. I mean, it is it, like a lot of people are saying that, you know, maybe John Kavanaugh's like throwing him under the bus slightly here by saying, oh, well, it's all up to Connor. You know, Connor makes all the, we're just here, we're just punch bags and holding gloves and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think that's how it is, you know, but it kind of, you know, it's getting your excuses in early is the way some people are choosing to yeah. do. do you I'm think not that's 
I don't think so. I think they're choosing to defer to Connor because, like you say, Connor is the boss. He doesn't say anything to anybody. I'm not sure. I know I've said this to you offline. I'm not sure if I said it to you on the podcast, but I said it to you a while ago. Do you know what Connor needs in his life is a middle-aged Swedish woman did, who yeah. does not appreciate <laughs> who he is. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that he would be. You know, sometimes there are things in your life, Sean, where you know, no matter how much you don't want to do them, you have to embrace them. Yeah. Right? I would prefer to live my life in absolute chaos where I didn't have an alarm going off in the morning or anything else like that. But I would never get anything done, and therefore I have to have pack list for when I'm going to America and I have to have you know my wife who's generous enough to phone me t-shirts I have to know where my passport is I have to be in the airport a half an hour before I ever might even need to be in the airport that kind of thing because if I don't I won't be able to perform right and I wonder what Connor you know, one of the great things about business is, you know, one of the great lessons you can learn is pay somebody the money to do what they're good at and get the fuck out of their way, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Connor did that in the past because Owen Roddy it was absolutely spectacular in the second Diaz fight. If you listen to how the corner coached, an awful lot of it was Owen telling him what to go, reminding him to go for that leg kick the whole time, right? And if you ever seen him train, and Owen is absolutely, it's like the two of them. He's, he's like a horse whisperer, right? You know, <laughs> he's talking a language that only Connor can understand. And I saw a guy, I don't know if you saw, there's a parry match clip where some guy was holding pads from in, um, in, Moscow or somewhere in Russia and something, you know, and Connor was doing something and the guy didn't feel what Connor wanted to do and Connor had to stop and tell him, I've never seen that happen with Owen Roddy. I've never heard it happen with Owen Roddy. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And with the wrestling coach and that kind of thing, when Artem is in there, no Artem isn't with him on this camp. He's going out there next week, I think, for the fight, you know. But these guys know Connor backwards, you know. But I do think that he would benefit from somebody, you know, Audiatar, I don't really care much for his management style. I've tried to deal with him as a journalist and I found him absolutely like, like an ashtray on a motorbike. He's useless, you know. <laughs> and I think what Connor really needs is a really strong figure not a Don King figure because Don was a crook and Connor wouldn't have a penny left right mm-hmm. but somebody you know there's a couple of soccer agents who wouldn't be known at all out in the world one of them is uh, a guy I know down in Gothenburg and he looks after um, the centre back for the Swedish women's team right and he's absolutely brilliant at just managing hooker and she makes far more money now that that guy is there because he looks after everything down to the last detail so you know you can be doing that thing of you know applying for visas and all this kind of thing that kind of thing but you actually need somebody to sit down and to say to Connor, okay, what do you want in life? Where do you want to be? And not just a number, and not just a belt or whatever. You know, it's like, how are you going to make yourself happy for the rest of your life and deal with that? And to say to him, look, in order to do that, you're going to have to do certain things that you don't want to do. Now, it absolutely shocked the shit out of me the other day. I'm sure you got the um, the email from the UFC as well, where it said the media day came up. The press conference on Wednesday, media day is on Thursday, and at the bottom of the list is Donald Cerrone and Conor McGregor. And a fucking media day, I haven't seen that in years. You know, mm. so I wrote back to uh, the UFC straight away and said okay what's the format for this is it one-on-ones or is it a scrum and I went no it's a scrum and I go Conor McGregor doing a UFC scrum like was it Diaz one was the last time that happened it was the last time he sat down in that situation only press conferences only set piece interviews with the likes of Ariel or with uh, Fox as it was the time and now ESPN that was all he did but now he's doing this and that says to me somewhere along the line that Conor has prepared to compromise himself but if you know and in a way I kind of feel sorry for him because to have a person like that to have a middle aged Scandinavian woman doing that for you you have to trust them implicitly Mm -hmm. and if you don't have a person in your life that you can trust implicitly you know that makes it very very difficult I have an accountant here in Sweden and you know this is one of the conversation I have every night before I take a flight, you know, I say to, to my missus, right, if anything should happen to me, you know, uh, you know where to go because Yulia, the accountant, she has everything. She knows where all the money is. She knows where all the life insurances are. Not that I have any fucking money because you're covering sports, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but she knows where everything is and if anything was to happen, the family will be looked after and that's it, you know, but I have to trust her, Sean. I have to give mm. her every receipt. I have to tell her where I'm going, what I'm doing, what scam I'm up to now, what I think I'm going to make and that kind of thing and then she pulls me up and everything and she makes sure that I hit that, you know. Do you know, do you know and, what he needs? He needs me, all right. That's, 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 
Oh, fuck no, Jesus. That, that's like Audi with teeth. God, oh, but, you know, but that kind of guy, I mean, I have to say on Zlatan's behalf, Zlatan uses Mino as an agent, but he has another guy called Miko, Finnish guy, who looks after his business, and he's brilliant, and you never see him in the media. But Zlatan has that. He has somebody he can trust implicitly um, with, with his business affairs, you know, and that's the thing that I feel, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of lacking that structure around Connor. But again, it would require, you know, being able to trust somebody. And of course, you know, the less you have, if you come from pretty much nothing, I know people say that, you know, Connor didn't exactly come from poverty, but he didn't have a whole lot when he yeah. started out on this journey. And it's very, very difficult then to trust somebody and to cede that control either over your career or your money or anything else to somebody else. Yeah. Let, let's get into the fights on. Let's talk about maybe the, the tactics of it and, and things like that. Um, and, but maybe before we get to that, it, it's interesting to to look at this because you look at, at Don Cerrone, I suppose we're 32 minutes into this podcast now nearly, and we haven't mentioned Don Cerrone at, at all nearly yet. And you look at him and, and you know what Don Cerrone is. You know you know what kind of fighter Don Cerrone is. Now, he might do fight a different way. He, you know, Will he go for a takedown? Will he come out throwing head kicks? Will he fight off the back foot? Will he try to pressure? But, but we know... In essence, what type of da- fighter Donald Cerrone is, how he's going to look, how he's going to fight, and if he fights in a certain way, how he will fight in that way. Like, with Conor McGregor, I don't think the same can be said. Like, we know what Conor McGregor looked like when he fought Eddie Alvarez. We know what he looks like when he fought uh, Habib, but that fight was, you could nearly say that fight was over within you know, within 15 seconds because he went for a knee, got taken down, and then Conor <laughs> McGregor's not the same. So, we like... It's like looking at the Aldo fight and go, how did he look? Well, we don't really know because he ended in 13 seconds. How did Aldo look? We don't know. Like, the, the Habib fight is a little bit different, obviously, because it went down for four rounds. But you know what I mean? Conor McGregor's a fast twitch knockout artist there. Once it gets to the later rounds, unless it's a close fight, like the, the second Diaz fight, he's not the same. But when you're entering this fight, what's he going to look like? Like, is McGregor going to have that ultra brilliant timing that he had against Eddie Alvarez and you know I talk about Eddie Alvarez a lot and lots of people talk about that fight a lot but there's other fights as well the Aldo fight he had it Mm. okay he went in with two fucking bum knees into the Mendes fight and he still knocked him out you know he had it in the 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 Seaver fight and the Max Holloway fight he had it in all of those all of those fights coming through but does he still have it and before we get into maybe the specifics of all of that how much of it will he need to beat Donald Cerrone? I think is the thing, and like, and it's it's. I think that's a very, very, a very, very important point here because you look at, uh, you look at Conor McGregor, right, and you say, will a will a, a seventy four? You look at McGregor and say, will Conor McGregor his very best beat Donald Cerrone right now? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think everyone would acknowledge mm. that terrible style matchup for him beats him every time at a hundred percent. Conor McGregor at. The, the, the Conor McGregor that beat Habib, would he beat Donald Cerrone? Let, let's say that's a you know a 50% Conor McGregor. He had that injured foot. You know People mightn't believe that or anything, but he did. He didn't prepare well for that mm. fight. A short camp. Took it on like six weeks notice in the end. It was just a terrible all the way for that. Would that Conor McGregor beat Donald Cerrone? I'm not sure. And then the, the next question is, what's the difference between that Conor McGregor the Conor McGregor now and the Conor McGregor to beat Eddie Alvarez like it, if that's your line from the worst Conor McGregor we've seen the last few years to the best Conor McGregor we've seen the worst Conor McGregor being the 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 Khabib one the best one being the Eddie Alvarez one if you have a line between that where in the middle is McGregor now what's your take on that Do you, what percentage uh, uh, Conor McGregor if if 100% is uh, is McGregor against Alvarez if 50% is Conor against Khabib what percentage do you think he is right now 
I, I, well, I think what he has to be is like 80, 85% because Cerrone is no mug. You know, he has a huge amount of experience in the octagon. He's been something of a gatekeeper. If you beat Cerrone, oh, it doesn't matter if it's a lightweight or a welterweight, but if you beat him, you're moving up in the rankings, right? That's how it's pretty much always worked. And, you know, he has, you know, he's quite a rounded fighter. He can wrestle, he can close the distance, but he can also kick the head off you from distance, that kind of thing. So it's a difficult fight for that. And Connor's going to have to be on his toes to be able to do that. But the truth is that we don't really know. I mean, you see footage coming out of him boxing and that kind of thing and you see him you know doing a bit of sh- you know sparring or whatever or uh, hitting pads in Moscow and that kind of thing and it's really really hard to know because until you put somebody up in front of him because if you remember with the Khabib fight because of the foot or whatever else or because the short camp or the work wasn't put in right Connor's shots weren't landed and that's we've never really seen that before he lacked that precision that he had before that you know they slept all in 13 seconds because all he needed to do was just land one left hand right that didn't happen he hit Khabib a couple of nights but they just you know they, they glanced off or they hit his shoulder or whatever where normally he would have just decked a guy at that you know and if he had done that that would have been an entirely different fight I don't think Khabib or anybody else is going to be able to stand there for too long if Connors land that left hand two or three times the only man in history able to do that is Nate Diaz and he's just out of this world you know but you know that's where he ha- I really think that you know the idea that, that Donald is there to be just you know given a payday and brushed aside I'd be extremely wary of that and I think that you know to a certain extent the UFC you know I think Dana White's going okay who's the, the most credible but least dangerous opponent we can give Connor at this point in time hey Donald what are you doing mm. second weekend or third weekend in January kind of thing you know yeah. and that, you know so I, but I do think that you know if Connor goes in there thinking that all he has to do is put his put on his gloves and go in there get taped up and he's just going to knock him out that's not how this is going to go down you know mm. if you don't have six, seven, eight, ten weeks. And, you know, the other thing is, I've only seen Connor. you know, now we've seen, what, probably ten minutes of training footage. I haven't seen him grapple, I haven't seen him wrestle, I haven't seen him pushed up against the page, only seen him hitting pads and that kind of thing, you know. Now, oftentimes they don't want to show us these things, but I'd love to know how much wrestling he's doing because I don't think that, you know, I don't think that Cerrone, you know, if he has problems with southpaws who put pressure on, you know, the last thing he's going to want to do, the first thing I'd be thinking is close the distance, right? I don't want to be anywhere where Conor McGregor can hit me on the jaw with his left hand, mm-hmm. especially if I'm Donald Cerrone and I've been hit there a couple of times before. I want to close that. I want to get my jaw in around his belly button and be taking him down a double leg or doing something like that because I don't want to be anywhere where he can pick me off with that because, you know, good and all Cerrone is. He's no mug and he's a good guard and that kind of thing, both in terms of, of boxing, kickboxing, but also on the day. I just, you know, no, Jesus, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that. Yeah. I, the thing about Cerrone is, will he play his part? You know, will Cerrone come in to fight McGregor's fight or will he come in to fight Cerrone's fight? Because if he comes in to fight McGregor's fight, no matter how good or bad McGregor is, McGregor will win. Because he's... If Donald Cerrone... And I'll get into it more. But if, if Cerrone comes out and he lets McGregor fight his fight, he will win. If Cerrone comes out and fights Cerrone's fight... And by Cerrone's fight, I don't mean the way he normally fights. I mean the way which will bring him a victory, the way mm. he needs to fight against this specific opponent to beat him. And what he needs to do, look, we all know, it. okay, he might, you know, you're looking at this now, he might come out and hit him with a head kick and knock him out, if he does, fair enough. But what he needs to do is, he needs to come out and grapple and take Conor McGregor down. But he needs to be very careful about doing it. He can't mm. just be shooting from across the, the octagon. People think, you know, Conor McGregor can't wrestle, he can't do jiu-jitsu and everything like that. That's it's uh, that's not true, right? But he also has very good takedown defense. Anyone who's watched back tape and Conor McGregor knows that because McGregor has been preparing his whole life to fight people who are really good wrestlers. Like, McGregor has mm. been preparing to fight Frank Yeager, to fight Chad mm. Mendes, to fight... Like, Aldo has good wrestling, he's good grappling as well, but he's a very good striker, obviously. He's preparing for all these people. He prepared for Habib. That's what he's always been prepared for. And he's still... Like, people think, oh, McGregor was just giving easy matchups the whole way up. He wasn't. Now, 
before I get into the whole breakdown of the fight, that that's for Cerrone. But I think for McGregor, a huge thing is, this kind of ties in with the preparations. McGregor's timing, you mentioned it there a few minutes ago, that's his... Maybe it's, uh, along with his power, I think it's his best asset. If anyone watch, go back and watch the Eddie Alvarez fight. It's up on YouTube, and I did it on the rewatch over on Patreon there uh, the other day. You know, Conor McGregor has this gorilla tattooed on his chest, right? And you look at that gorilla, and look how many times that gorilla takes a, a punch right in the chin. Look at mm. it; he takes it so many times. And how many punches does Conor McGregor take in the chin? Because it's that little step backwards where he moves away just enough where you connect with his chest rather than his chin. And when you do that, if you're hitting Conor McGregor in the chest, you're fucked because you're hitting yep. him there, and he's coming back in and he's striking you. And mm. let the, the the beef of the analysis here is Donald Cerrone is a terrible fighter. <laughs> No, that that sounds bad. But he's a terrible fighter early if you put him in a pressurized situ- situation. And by pe- pressurized situation, I mean purely pressure. No, I'm not talking anything about shots. I'm not talking anything about uh, big. You know, McGregor coming forward, throwing big hooks or anything. I'm talking about purely getting your leg in the right place or your foot in the right place to push him back to mm. cu- to cut off the octagon, throwing feints and things like that. When you push Cerrone back before you even throw a shot, when you push him back, you get Cerrone punching he's always done that you either okay you get either get him punching or like darren till he'll be jumping on takedowns from halfway across the octagon he got one of them against darren till so that it doesn't always work out but in that position if you push donald Cerrone back you pressure him he will punch <clears throat> and that's exactly what conor mcgregor wants conor mcgregor wants you to punch i talked to a couple of uh before the habib fight patrick wyman who in my opinion is the best analyst in, in mma we've ever seen and we were talking about when we, we kind of both said it at the same time that we agreed that McGregor is an aggressive counter-striker. He's a pressure counter-striker, which might seem odd because you think a counter-striker, you think someone fighting off their back foot, they bring you on and then they counter your shots. McGregor pushes you backwards. He goes forward himself, makes you then pop out from the cage with shots. He moves away from that shot and he throws a shot and counters you and hits you. That's exactly what McGregor wants to do at his best. That's his... You know, his A1 game plan. It's, you know, it's like uh, fucking Wimbledon or Bolton back in the day kicking long ball. That's what Conor McGregor does. And that's the that's what Donald Cerrone does badly in all of his fights. It's how he lost against Till. It's how he lost against RDA. It's all of his fights. And if you fight that way, if you, like, it's not, and it's easier said than done. All those guys I named there are very, very good guys. But if you fight that way against Donald Cerrone and you're good enough and your timing is good enough, you will beat him in that way. Like when you're looking at McGregor and you're looking at him fighting like that, do you t- do you think that, that that that's what he'll do? Will he come out or will he do like Gaethje and wait for Donald Cerrone to come on to him and try to counter him that way? Well, I think you know for Connor. Connor knows what he wants to do, and Connor knows that if that left hand is working, all he needs to do is let it go like a piston once onto Cerrone's jaw, mm-hmm. and that's all he has to do. He could just stand there, he could wait for that shot, he could have his hands down by his sides if needs be, and just let Cerrone come to him. You know, mm-hmm. but I think for Cerrone's part, you know, this idea of you know using a teep kick as a jab kind of thing, yeah. that kind of thing, you just need to keep Connor as far away from you as possible, right? And frustrate him and that kind of thing. I mean, like Cerrone's fantastic head kicks. And that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing I'd be looking at. And it's either, you know, like you can close the distance, but you can also increase the distance. So, you know, you just need to be outside of Connor's reach, exactly as you were saying. You know, a punch whistling past your nose doesn't do you any damage whatsoever, you know. But it's, you know, when your head is in that sweet spot where Connor's left hand wants to get to, then you're in trouble. And Cerrone just has to keep himself out of that, you know. He can't be a target in that space. Because we saw it with Aldo and we saw it, you know, with Eddie Alvarez as well. The amount of clean shots that Eddie, yeah. I still have a huge amount of respect for Eddie Alvarez that he even shots. lasted as long as. How did he get? 
get out of the first round of that fight with the shots that he took, like, you know? Mm. And they were clean, classic Connor strikes that he took this time. Now, I don't think Cerrone can take them because Cerrone has so many more miles in the clock. Yeah. He's met so many tougher opponents, that kind of thing. And indeed, Eddie's gone down uh, the road in Asia where he's getting beaten slightly easier than probably what he should be at this stage, you know? But I don't think Cerrone can afford even one of those shots to land, you know, because he's going to go down. I half wonder if Connor's not thinking, well, you know, if I choke him out, will John give me the black belt in the, in the octagon or that <laughs> kind of thing? No, it was, you know, you know the way when you see certain fighters uh, you know, if you, you've knocked a fella, you've knocked a fella, he's completely gone anyway. I fucking, I'll take an armbar just to finish him, but you know, get a submission, mm. that kind of thing, you know. But I think the Connor, you know, deep down, who is Connor to himself, right? Connor is the greatest striker in mixed martial arts. In his own mind, I'm sure he thinks of himself as being the greatest or among the greatest strikers in mixed martial arts. I'm sure in his, you know, in the power of attraction and the way that he likes to think about the world, I'm sure he's going to bed tonight after listening to this podcast and he's seen himself sleeping Cerrone with that left hand exactly as he did with Jose Aldo. Cerrone doesn't even see it and it's just the next thing Cerrone sees is the, the physician standing over and going Donald you did your best but you're out of here you yeah. know No, I, I think that's what Conor needs to do I think that Conor knows where it is because Conor McGregor's left hand is probably the ultimate weapon you know in the UFC history like the other guys have gone they've won you know you have you know Mark Hunt is capable of knocking fellas out that kind of thing but it's such an iconic moment when Conor knocked Aldo out in that way after all the talk Aldo unbeaten greatest champion ever the only champion ever in that weight class of America all correctly and then all of a sudden 13 seconds he's gone you know mm. and not only that but Connor did it with we all knew what was going to finish that fight if Connor was going to win it we all knew it was going to be that left hand that he was going to uncork it he did it and Aldo still went for it you know so you know does Cerrone want to be another man's highlight reel I'd sincerely doubt it I'd say Cerrone is thinking I'm going to go in there I'm going to give it my best shot and that's why I honestly think Sean that he's going to try to but invite Connor on a little bit and then, you know, maybe try to get a switch, get Connor's back against the cage and then, you know, get wrestling, get it taken down from there. But like you say, Connor's, you know, he's no slouch as a wrestler either. Yeah. I, like, I think, the and I, I, I talked about the positives from McGregor there and how he wins the fight. I think the negative from McGregor here uh, and, you know, keep listening to me after I say this, but I think it's the weight class. And I think, I don't think it's the weight class because of, uh, you know... <sighs> because of what more you know people are saying about he's too big and and the power one translate and everything like that i think it's because of how he carries it now i'm saying this based on one fight basically the the second Nate Diaz fight the first Nate Diaz fight short notice and everything like that you know he didn't prepare fully for that uh uh, you know, cardio-wise, uh, physically as well as tactically, he per- prepared physically and tactically exactly how he wanted for the second fight. And what he did in that fight was fight a lot differently than he does at 55. We've only seen him once before that at 155 against Teddy Alvarez. He looked fantastic. Or sorry, it was after that, but we've only seen him once, uh, and we see him loads of times at 145. And what he did differently was he was a lot less flowy if you want to <laughs> steal the mm. phrase from conor mcgregor he didn't throw those big spinning kicks he threw lots of leg kicks and everything like that but he wasn't this dynamic striker like he used to be he was very much you know throw those leg kicks land your shots when you come inside a lot less shots a lot less moving fighting at 170 which i think is very dangerous against donald Cerrone. you mentioned that head kick you know lots of people will you know they'll talk about this fight and they'll say oh donald Cerrone, he's bad against pressure he's bad against southpaws he lands the head kick yeah, but why does he land the head kick so often? I think he lands the head kick so often is because he puts himself in that position of shoot, uh, of throwing shots in the pocket like that. And it goes very bad for him at times. As I mentioned there, if McGregor pushes forward, Cerrone's going to throw shots. That, that's his MO. He always does it. But the way McGregor fights, if you look at McGregor against... Um, against Eddie Alvarez when he was standing in the middle waiting for Eddie Alvarez to push him. He does this thing where he kind of plants his feet after cutting off the cage and 
you know, Eddie's either expecting the hook to come so he can't move one way, or he's expecting the shot from the other side, whether it's the kick or the leg kick or whatever, to come the other way. So he's planted right in front of him in the middle of the cage. And in that position where McGregor's, you're face and face, a couple of feet apart. He does this thing where he kind of plants his feet and he moves his arms. You're looking at him, he moves into kind of a, I'm in a southpaw position now, and now I'm back in an orthodox position. Which hand is going to come? Where am I going to hit you? And he has planted his feet and he's standing there in the middle of the octagon. And he does that because he freezes guys there. In that position, Donald Cerrone won't freeze. That, and that'll benefit Conor McGregor because he doesn't want him to freeze. He wants him to throw shots and he wants him to throw shots so he counter them. But Donald Cerrone will throw shots. And when anyone throws shots, that's dangerous. And when mm. McGregor is standing there with his feet planted, with his hands moving, not in a, you know, that's not the, the best defensive position in the world. And when you have someone who throws head kicks as well and accurately as Donald Cerrone does, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he caught him with a big one of those. And that's, mm. that's a very interesting point if that happens. Because we, what if he knocks Conor McGregor out from that position? And now if McGregor's fighting at 155, I think this is a different fight. Now he did that in 155 against Eddie Alvarez, I know, but he was kind of coming back from 170 and it was shortly after that. Like, And let's say McGregor, the, the fighter McGregor was at 145, I think against Cerrone now is just, is just a decimation to be honest. But I think that position is very, very opportunity. It's a better position for McGregor. Don't get me wrong, but it's you know it's like Man City playing against Leicester. If Man City are pushing forward and they've all the ball and they're going and they're you know they score a few goals or something, they're pushing forward. They're they're getting chances. That's a very, very, very advantageous position for them. But if Leicester have Jamie Vardy and they have Damari Gray and they have Jose Perez and they have Casper Schmeichel who can kick the ball over the top or they, or they have mm-hmm. Sayanchu, that's an advantageous position for them as well because they can counter you. And now it's the other way around, I suppose, because you're talking about the counter fighter against the, the, the attacking fighter, but you know what I mean. And also from that position, I'll, I'll throw it over to you after this, just another quick thing. From that position as well, when McGregor is standing there in the middle of the cage and we saw it once against Eddie Alvarez, he gives up the clinch when he throws the shots if the shots don't land. Now, if McGregor mm. comes in and he's planted his feet there and he throws a shot and it lands and he moves away and he doesn't get caught, perfect. He's just going to go back into the same position, cut off the cage and throw the shots again. But if he is there in that position and Don Cerrone can come in, catch the body and put him against the cage, Don Cerrone is very good at establishing the clinch and he's not great in the clinch per se in that in holding the clinch and just you know we, we see lads there for three or four minutes at a round just keeping that clinch but he's very good in the break of the clinch as well lands fantastic elbows McGregor is actually a very good clinch as well people maybe don't realise but he does as well uh, and you know Cerrone can get takedowns and things from that, that clinch McGregor has excellent takedown defence in the clinch as well look against um, against uh, Nate Diaz especially for that what, what do you think in that position do you think Donald Cerrone can be dangerous in that position when McGregor's just kind of standing there and waiting for Cerrone to make the mistake well, I think so. I think that's the absolute beauty of combat sports, Sean, is that, you know, if you have a fella like Conor with the left hand, if you have a fella like Donald Cerrone with that, with that sort of right uh, foot, the high kick that he's going to land there, that kind of thing, right? This could be over. You always have a chance. You always have a puncher's chance. You always have a kicker's chance to get in there and to do what it is that you're going to do, you know? And you, know, you have to respect that in your opponent. And that's where the chess comes in. It's what do you do? And that was a really good analysis of what, uh, what Conor did against Eddie Alvarez in terms of how he plants himself. And he forces you to choose, right? So you mm-hmm. choose. And then he lands a shot that you choose, but then he exactly. follows it up with something else that you don't know about, right? Mm. And that's where the chess comes in. Now, I mean, Cerrone hasn't been 
the smartest fighter in the world in some situations. He's been allowed, like he's allowed other fighters to provoke him into certain things that, you know, I'm sure when he looks back at the tape of some of his fights, he gets disappointed with himself, you know, and says, oh, geez, why did I do that? I should have seen that coming, that kind of thing. Instead of just circling away and starting again, sometimes pride gets the better. You try to stand toe to toe with somebody who could just, you know, unleash a whole heap of strikes on you. And you decide, okay, well, I'm just going to strike back instead of just getting out of there, you know? So, but I think this is also a legacy fight for Cerrone. And I think he's going to, you know, this is probably the biggest audience he's ever going to have. You know, he's fought on Connor's cards before and he fought in Madison Square Garden when Connor beat Alvarez that time, you know. And, you know, I think that he's going to look at this and he's going to say, right, I want to give a good account of myself. Cerrone's not the kind of guy who cares about wins and losses. He cares about going out there and giving people what they want to see and emerging with a sense of pride from a fight. So even if he loses, even if he gets knocked out, that doesn't keep him awake at night, you know. As long as he does his best, then he's happy enough. So I don't, I wouldn't say he wouldn't be happy to go out and get knocked out within you know, 30 seconds just walking onto like a left hook the way it's taking out so many in mixed martial arts when it comes to Conor McGregor you know so I think he'll want to be able to be out there and give a good account of himself he'll want to maybe turn I do think that he's going to challenge Conor I do think that he's going to put it up to Conor and try to make Conor uncomfortable because if he doesn't what, what else is he doing? You know, what, why is he even in there if he's just going to stand there and let Connor knock him out and take his check and go home? That's just not Don Cerrone's way of working, you know? Yeah, yeah 100%. Right. Let's let's move on to some of the other fights in the car. We get back to maybe the prediction oh, at on, the end. On. Go on. There's other fights at the, on the yeah, car. Yeah. Why it's, was I not told? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not great in terms of name value, although there's a couple of names. Uh, it, and it's not a great car, but it's not maybe as bad as people are making out. But yeah, it's it's, it's an okay card. It's it's very very top heavy. Um, let me run through it quickly. And if there's anything, I I'll run through all the fights here. And if there's anything afterwards you want to pick out or you think is a good fight, feel free to tell me. Right. So we've Holly Holm, obviously the former champion. I'm I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this podcast. It's the only MMA podcast they've listened to in the last eighteen months. And you're welcome. Thank you very much. Sign up patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. And also I'll tell you a few facts about these. Holly Holm, a former champion. A very, um, a very defensive striker who stands outside in long distance, waits for you to come in and land big head kicking shots. A former boxer, Raquel Bennington, the person who will come on her and, and throw all of those shots. A former title challenger as well. Uh, you know, two people who maybe, maybe not past their best, but maybe past their. Um, their title contention at this stage and trying to get back into it. Uh, Alexi Olnick, uh, a lad who's about 97 years old, who has this fantastic Ezekiel joke. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing that, far finding a new guy coming through my screen. Uh, Claudia Gadelia, former one-time title challenger. I have a video coming out here tomorrow that says, I, I said she's a two-time title challenger, but she fought Ioanni and Jacek twice. Finding Alexa Grasso, a really good Mexican fighter coming through, a good fighter as well. Anthony Pettis, former UFC lightweight champion on the Wheaties box, <laughs> fighting uh, Carlos Diego Fajaya. Uh, should be a good fight as well. Roxanne Metaferi, former UFC flyweight contender fighting Macy Barber. Another really good person coming through. Andre Touchy Feely, one of the most improved fighters over the last couple of years, fighting Sadiq Youssef, a huge con- uh, contender as well coming through in the featherweight division. This is, to me, this is the best fight in the card apart from the main event. This is the one you need to, to look at. In the lightweight division, Nazrat Hakparas, one of my favourite fighters coming through. I really, really like him. I rate him a lot fighting Drew Dober, a, very, a veteran there coming through. Grant Dawson, another guy. There's a lot of good prospects in this card. So I think in a few years, this is a card you look at. Maybe not all of them come through. But you look at and say, oh, this guy's a champion and he fought in McGregor's undercard. I think people will remember that. And on the other undercard, then, Alexa Camru versus Justin Lede, Tim Elliott, former flyweight Titan challenger as well, against Askar Askarov, one of these insanely good fighters coming through Brian Keller a uh, really good guy on Twitter good analysis and uh, analyst there you go that's the word against uh, Odie Osborne and Sabina Mazza versus JJ Aldrich and one thing on JJ Aldrich she wears the she wears the Irish fight kit uh, so I'm I'm sure if a lot of people see that coming over she comes out with the, the tricolor the tricolor as they call it over in, the, over in England I'm sure a lot of people will be happy with that 
uh, Graham I almost called you Philip anything there or any couple of fights there you want to kind of uh, you're looking forward to or you want to talk about or pick out yeah, no, I think, I mean, you're always talking up Nasrat, so I'm really looking forward to seeing Nasrat in the flesh. But Macy Barber is the one for me. Like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, she's just one of those, she talks a great game and that kind of thing. Like, and I just, I'd be fascinated to see what she can do. Uh, I'd be fascinated to see the crowd that they draw, because like you say, yeah. there's a whole load of people here who could do great things. There's an enormous amount of potential on this card, right? And, you know, this is a pay-per-view event, right? There's not a single title fight among those fights, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's nothing there, you know, apart from that. But what there is, is there's a whole load of sort of solid, there's a couple of hard Hardcore people there. Anthony uh, Pettis is definitely one that you want to see. Olinik is, is one that you want to see if he can sneak that there. Uh, Claudio Gadea is, is definitely somebody you want to see. And I feel like you see hugely improved. So there's, there's one person that you want to watch in every fight. So they haven't really broken the bank. I'd say, you know, most of the money is going to go to Cerrone and to Connor uh, in this one. Holly Holm will get a few quid. Rocky Pennington will get a few quid as well. But, you know, they've, they've kind of stacked it with really good prospects. So it's mm-hmm. a bit of, you know, what they tend to say in boxing is one for the purists, you know. Yeah. The people who sort of watch this because they watch fucking two blokes fighting outside a <laughs> chipper, you know. Mm-hmm. But but this is really, I think this is one of those cards that you look back on, like you're saying, you're saying there's, there's an awful lot of people, you know, maybe they might make their mark here. Maybe they might sort of, you know, take advantage of the fact that people will be sitting down in America with a couple of beers in the cooler beside them and going through this card because like you know nobody's going to play a pay-per-view card and just watch Conor against Donald you know they're, they're, they're going to want to see other fights for their money and I mean I have to say I love the early preliminaries because you know even if it's an empty arena but you know poor old JJ Aldridge she's going to be going out there and the only person people in the arena it'll be her Sabina the ref me and PT and that'll mm-hmm. be it and we'll be shouting for her she comes out with our tricolor kind of thing <laughs> you know but you know and it is like sometimes it's really annoying but they're the people in there fighting for their future Sean you know mm-hmm. they might be on 6, 8, 10 grand and maybe another 6, 8 or 10 grand to win or whatever you know but you often get really really good competitive really tense fights because you know people again you want to talk about you know Donald Cerrone or Conor McGregor making a mistake they literally can't afford to make it this could be their only shot like in the UFC I know everybody gets a three or four fight deal to begin with but they could be gone in the morning if they don't deliver here you know so those fights usually tend to be well worth watching you know but um Again, Nasrat definitely. Uh, this uh, Sadiq Yusuf killer uh, guy. I, I, look, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And again, Andre Feely. I saw him fight uh, Artem Lobov in the same building yeah. there. That kind of thing. Like I say, maybe back then he was a little bit more limited. But you know, he's still in the UFC. Uh, Artem has gone on to better things with bare knuckle boxing. I'm sure he'd say, and uh, whatever he's going to do next, you know. But no, I, I think it's an interesting enough card. I think it's definitely one as well that you know sometimes there's an absolute stinker of a heavyweight fight on that you just go, oh Jesus, this is going to be three rounds. And they're often the ones that I used to go to McDonald's at three o'clock in the morning for me lunch you know when I'm sitting up covering these fights in Europe you know but I can I can honestly say that I reckon I'm probably going to sit myself down beside young Mr. Carol of Blanchestown and MMAfighting.com and I'll probably watch you know if I don't watch every minute of every fight I'll probably watch pretty pretty close to it anyway mm-hmm. yeah should be fun right uh, I have a couple of a couple of questions there uh, um, I nearly called you pizza there what do I I don't know what I've talked so much about uh, <laughs> just in the last couple of days I don't even know who I'm talking anymore <laughs> who are you what's your name that'll just show people who are listening to this how like how much they're going to have to sign up to, to oh, the Patreon patreon.com forward slash severe MMA you know and then the other podcast. thing is follow me on Twitter <laughs> severe MMA podcast sorry yes. <laughs> follow me on Twitter as well at Philip O'Connor because like I've decided I usually do a, P- a podcast every week about sort of you know media and communication that kind of thing but you know in the last while I've been interviewing a few different people from music and that kind of thing and I'm going to keep that going it's going to be a little bit more general so there's going to be like, and because we're in Vegas next week there's going to be stories obviously coming out of UFC and MMA but there's also you know an Irish guy who holds three Guinness World Records for playing the guitar, that kind of thing. So we'll have all that kind of... So between the two of us, if anybody wants to spend a few quid on Patreon, send it our way, oh, you know? Job. You're getting Sigrid on, my favourite singer. You'll have to get her on. I mean, we were talking about oh, her before. Yeah, yeah, I promised you that before. Yeah, I have mm. to get her. I'll get her when I get back, I promise. Legend. Right. This, 
questions. <laughs> this one is a is a tricky one, maybe I suppose. But uh, Ian Gary over on <laughs> over on Instagram asks, "Who's your Irish coach of the year?" And maybe not tricky in terms of who I think it is, but uh, we, we had this debate. You know, we did the the uh, the awards last week. Myself and Graham did a podcast before it came out and we put it out and there was a few people giving out about we didn't have a team of the year and a coach of the year in Ireland and things like that. And I think the reason simply we didn't have it because there wasn't really that much competition for a few years. And myself and Graham talked about it on the podcast that th- that competition has actually developed a lot over the last year, 18 months, you know, with Team yep. KF coming out. You know, and, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful, like Team Rhino had a very good team, obviously SPG and, you know, the Paddy Hoolan is an SPG uh, D24, I think, isn't it? And you have the lads up the north and the guys down in Cork and everything. But let's be honest here, for the last few years, and we've been running these awards, I think, for five years, it's been a very, very SPG, uh, SPG-centric uh, award uh, um, uh, the SPG Gym of the Year Award yeah, and the SPG yeah. Coach of the Year Award <laughs> exactly exactly now we could, um, um, that's actually a lot of people you know Ashley Daly came out and said we we're shady for not having the award because it's like you know thinking we're pro SPG or something so we're shady because we didn't give SPG an award for the last five years which I think is is just the most <laughs> like if you thought about it for five seconds you know it, it'd make no sense it's like it's actually anti-SPG if anything and you know yeah. and, and the other thing is if you walk into SPG in the morning everybody be calling you a bollocks for all yeah, the things exactly, you've said yeah. about over the last five years and I, I'm it's not, a bit like writing yeah. about Israel or Palestine Sean right because <laughs> as long as everybody's given out they're doing the right thing yeah know? and I actually don't mind look she, she's entitled to say but I I just said I'd address that because I just wanted to explain the reasoning behind it. Because maybe if you haven't thought about it or, you know, and I put a lot of thought into this, as you know, and I talked to you and talked to Graham and other people, but we discussed this over the last few years. And I'm like, I just don't want, I don't want to have an award that is not really a competition. But now it's a competition. Yeah. So we're going to bring it in next year, you know, and SBG might very well win. And I'm not going to just give it to another gym because they're doing well and they're coming through. If SBG have Conor McGregor fighting in the UFC at the very top and they have a guy's headline in, in, in Bellator and they're going to win it over other gyms. Now, I, <laughs> right, let's answer the question. Who's your who's your Irish coach of the year? I think You're going to call me an absolute... No, you're going to call me an absolute kiss-ass here, right? But my coach of the year, right? Because, and this is, words are important. My coach of the year is actually Ashling Daly, right? And I know Ashling doesn't coach MMA or that kind of thing, right? But I follow Ashling's Instagram and I follow her Twitter account. And the reason I'm saying Ashling Daly is because I see how many uh, people, especially women, that she gets involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and she keeps them there. And she keeps them working away and she gives them faith and confidence and that kind of thing of themselves. So far away from the bright lights of Las Vegas or Cage Warriors in London, Ashling does really, really good work with them. And that's something I try to do, you know, I'm only a blue belt in jiu-jitsu here but I'm forever trying to involve people and to keep them on that path and I've said it to Ashley before when I'm online like I love to see her putting up you know her week, weeknight classes or her weekend classes where she gets a bunch of women into that gym and she encourages them and keeps them going and she's like you know she's a great uh, you know an idol for them to have you know she, she's a great she's followed a brilliant brilliant path herself through the UFC black belt in jiu-jitsu and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. I was actually going to say that to you when the two of you were having the back and forth and I thought that if I said that on Twitter at the time that she would think I was taking the piss and then she'd just batter me you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said, I'm not going to say it there, but no, I, I really, I honestly want to take this opportunity to say how much I respect Ashling and what she's done and the way she encourages people, not just to get into jiu-jitsu, but to stay there. So Ashling Daly is my coach of the year 2019. Really? I, I like that's I, a curveball for you right there. Yeah, it is. I know. I think it's. I think it's very close between Chris Fields and and or let's say let's say Jimmy the year or so because like between SBG and Team KF, I think it's very close there because 
like Team Kef have done a lot of good things. They had a Cage Warriors champion. I don't think you, I don't think SPG have any champion at the moment. Have they? Now they might have someone out somewhere. And you have to talk about Norman Park as well. He's the KSW interim champion. So that you know, I'm talking about McGregor coming through next year, and he's going to be at the top of the game, and they should win it. So I like. I think you should. You have to look at that as well. Ian Gary won our emerging prospect of the year. Uh, Takamandu won our uh, amateur of the year. You look at the female fighter as well. Uh, SBG won that with Sinead Kavanagh. So I think it's very close. I'd probably just shade it towards Chris Fields to be honest, but it is a close one. And Ingari yeah. might well, battle. Well, I mean, it's worth saying. <laughs> Yeah, but we should we shouldn't back away from the fact that there has been a little bit of bad blood or a bit of conflict yeah. between SG ah, and that kind of thing. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no, that has been talked about in that kind of thing, and it has made it difficult because you know uh, Team KF is only really sort of starting out at this mm-hmm. point in time, so it's almost unfair then to compare them to a team like SBG that's been around for so long, or indeed Andy Ryan on the north side yeah. there. You know, so you, you know, yeah, you kind of with these things, you have to try to compare like with like and say, okay, because for what the lads have done in Team KF over the last year, you would absolutely have to say that they would be the gym of the year, coming mm-hmm. pretty much from out of nowhere and all of a sudden grabbing a champion you know whereas maybe SBG you might say well compared to what you've done before well then you know maybe it hasn't been as impressive but over the course of the year and that kind of thing that's why you know I mean I know it sounds like a bit of a smart arse saying you know Ashling is my coach here and that kind of thing but I always in a way I kind of object to things like the Grammys and to the Academy Awards and this kind of thing as long as you're having a bit of crack with it and as long as everybody feels that they're sort of seen and respecting that kind of thing it's great but at this point in time when there is a sort of an infected situation between you know everybody's involved in it you're kind of better off not to pick anybody out but I think you know everybody has had I mean, there's been some great SBG fights and fighters through the year as well. Like you say, they got a bunch of awards anyway, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it will be interesting. If we're going to go hardcore for it next year, I'm going to start taking notes already. You yeah, know? God almighty. I always say that in January. I'll take notes now during the year, and I got about one event in, and that's it. Right. <laughs> one, one or two more here. Keen Keating, uh, would you agree with me in saying that it's fair enough BT made this fight pay-per-view? I'm going to answer all the rest of these questions. Well, if you send in a question on, on Twitter or on Patreon or anywhere, I'll, I'll answer them on the q and It'll be out uh, during the week. What's your take on the whole pay-per-view thing? Like, I think they have to make this fight pay-per-view because it's Conor McGregor. If they're doing pay-per-view, and I know a lot of people are not happy about it, I'm not happy about it, to be honest, but this is the one fight I can understand. This is their big draw. This is the guy that'll actually sell pay-per-views. And this fight, it's it's it was always going to be on pay-per-view, really, wasn't it? In, in yeah. the UK and Ireland. Yeah, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have always objected. To, like, I don't like cable TV. I don't like the fact that somebody comes in there with 100 billion and just buys up a sport mm. and then all of a sudden we can't see it, right? You know, so I objected at the time when the Premier League started and all of a sudden Sky were in there. And then, you know, and in the beginning, and it's still the case that, you know, certain people who live, your neighbours in Limerick mightn't be able to afford it. And they might be able to afford to go to, to have a few points and see Norwich or QPR or whoever else it is that they might be interested in seeing, you know? So I'm all for a situation where somebody pays the money and it's available to as many people as possible, right? I hate the situation where where, you know, kids will get up tomorrow morning and they'll have to download it, uh, you know, for free off the internet or go to the Pirate Bay or whatever and download it. Uh, because, you know, I, I'd love them to be able to sit and enjoy the spectacle of it. I was only talking today about one of Barry McGuigan's title fights and how exciting that was to be listening to it on the radio and that kind of thing, you know, back in the day. Jesus, am I that old, you know? Mm. But, you know, I'd love as many people as possible to be able to see Connor. And that's why seeing Cage Warriors on Fight Pass, fantastic, because we get to see all these new, uh, you know, if you have a Fight Pass subscription, you get to see all these new guys coming up, you know? So, I don't know, pay per view, I know it's a thing in America and has been for many years I know people pay cable subscriptions that kind of thing but you know I, I would always be on for making the sport as widely available as possible because I want to see I want people to see Macy Barber I want them to be inspired by Andre Feeling to all these other people and that way that sort of generates new people and more ch- it doesn't generate as much money maybe but it generates a sustainable sport that we all feel that we, you know more of a sort of shareholders in yeah I don't think that's ever gonna happen, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Right, last question here before we get to our predictions, and this is this is I think this Keelan McCaffrey sent this in to personally hurt me, but it's um, is Keelan is that a man or a woman? Let me look. 
It's Keelan's a nice. Yeah. Yeah. Is Ke- would be a nice girl's name as well? I think that's a nice name. Anyway. But this is your dig back at Keelan, is it? What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if McGregor loses next week, who will have the bigger fall from grace? Conor McGregor or Manchester United? Is there any need for that now? That's a per- like. A, is there any need for that personal attack? Manchester United are in an absolute fucking shambles. I don't think anyone can have a bigger fall from grace than Man United. They're a fucking joke. But. You see, have you, oh, ye of little face, like, you know, I remember Tommy Doherty being the manager of Man United kind of thing, like, you know, so, you know, the thing about Manchester United is it's a club, they'll be back in, it might take five years, it might take ten years, but they'll be back, you know, but Conor McGregor as an individual athlete only has one career kind of thing. I don't think, you know, United are still there, thereabouts, you know, you get this idea that because, you know, in the year you grew up in, Sean, they pretty much won everything, all they yeah. had to do was put a team out there and won absolutely everything, Champions Leagues, the whole lot, like, you know, and, uh, and that era is now past, but, you know, I Oh, would it be a big fall from grace? I don't know. I mean, I think Connor's fall from grace as such, if he loses against Cerrone, that's not the fall from grace. The fall from grace happened a long time ago. I would say that, you know, if we're going to say that, you know, Connor's career reached a low point, I think, you know, if he does lose to Cerrone, it didn't happen that way. It happened against Khabib, I'd say, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Right. Your prediction for the fight, Philip. What do you think? How, how's it going to go? Who's going to win? Um, it's always hard to say. You know what? Can we clip in a piece of this next week when I get to talk to Connor or I get to see the press conference on Wednesday or Thursday? Because it's when you're standing in the room yeah. with him, that's usually when you know where he's at, kind of thing. You know, I would say, you know, if we can take on face value everything that we've seen on the Mac Life and ESPN and that kind of thing, I w- and the fact that he's a little bit more humble now, he's not personally attacking Cerrone, he's going out there saying, I'm going to do this, he's talking about himself and not his opponent. I would say that Connor McGregor is back and that we're looking at a knockout within two rounds. I think that, you know, Cerrone has that possibility where you know you can't a leopard can't, can't change its spots Cerrone's mm-hmm. just going to go right I'm going to do the best I can but I do think that he's going to walk onto one and be slept and that's it you know but if the Conor McGregor if Conor hasn't learned his lessons from Khabib if he hasn't learned his lesson at welterweight from Diaz 1 well then we're in for a long and and you know what will essentially be a very very sad night for Irish MMA because I don't really see any way back to you know he can't climb the mountain as high as he has reached before if he was to lose to Donald next week yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put that totally past him. But my thing is, uh, how I'm looking at this fight is right. <sighs> Conor McGregor has to be prepared properly for this fight, and he has to be doing that for more than you know, more than the the eight week camp or whatever it is. Now he said in that Mac Life interview that he's for the last year he has been back at it, and uh, you know I was talking to Pete the other day on, on the podcast which will be out during the week here. There's another spoiler alert, and he was kind of saying, well, uh, you know, a lot of those things came out in the the, the throwing the phone in like April last year and stuff, but. It hasn't been a year, as he said, but I think it has been a few months and has been maybe six months or whatever. And, you know, the talk is he has been in the gym and the talk is over his last few spars and stuff. And John Kavanagh said it, but, you know, I've, I've heard it in other places as well that he has looked good. So, you know, you can take that however you want to take it. You know, that's, you know, where that's, you know, that that's could be just, you know, the way they're spinning. It, it could be people listen to John Kavanagh and spin it that way as well. But let's say he looks OK. He's not terrible I, I think that'll probably be enough to be honest because and i think it'll be enough mm. because of conor mcgregor's unbelievably good mind for fighting which i talked about earlier on i think conor mcgregor will go in there again now people will look at the, hear me seeing this and they'll say he went in there against habib and he what was his game plan like then but habib is the toughest man in the world to game plan for oh. uh, cowboy isn't if he has a good game plan for cowboy if he walks him down with pressure and can land some of his shots i think he'll knock him out cowboy We've seen him in the past. He his one title fight he got knocked out, I think, in sixty nine seconds, sixty six seconds, something like that. Against Darren Till, he walked him forward and knocked him out pretty quickly. I think McGregor will do the same to be honest. I think he'll walk forward, 
get Cerrone throwing, counter, hit him one big shot first, knock him down. I think Cerrone will get back up and I think I think it could be a, st- a standing stoppage against the cage or a, li- a little bit like Diego Brandao. Remember that where he's turtled up against the cage and McGregor landing big shots and the referee mm. has to pull him off him. That to me, mm. that's my official prediction for the fight. Now I could come back here on Thursday as well and we could, you know, we could hear a press conference or whatever. We could hear McGregor speak and it might be a totally different or we might hear him, see him hitting pads and he might look like shit and, you know, I might change my pick <laughs> then or he might be hobbling around and embedded or something. Uh, but for now, yeah, I, I think that's my pick. So. Well, that, that, that is very that is very specific, I have to say, and it's it's very logical as well. You know, you can see, you can see that very much happening there. So you know, uh, I might actually change. No, I'm not going to change my pick at <laughs> this stage. I couldn't do that. Not for your Patreon listeners, absolutely not. God bless. <laughs> right. Thank you very much, Philip. It's been it's been a long couple of days, but here we go. We're we're getting going now. Conor McGregor's back. Patrons. We've only just begun. Welcome we've to twenty twenty. Here we go. There's going to be a podcast every day on Patreon, as I said. I keep it trying it down. But if you enjoyed this, you're going to enjoy those ones as well. I spoke to Ariel. I spoke to Pizzi, and two other really really good journalists. One very a fantastic analyst. One other person who is you know one of the best minds in the sport as well for for talking about events and things like that. So definitely check it out. I'll have uh, let the record show out. Uh, Sunday I believe and I'll have the betting show as well during the week and this evening is going to be doing that with me this week if he, if he turns up and loads of other stuff as well follow me at John GMBA at Philip O'Connor isn't it over on Twitter at Philip O'Connor on Twitter Yeah, well, you you'll, you'll find me at Sean's mentions it's that simple as beautiful you know? right thanks everyone <laughs> for listening thank you very much for Philip I really really appreciate it and uh, we'll see you all next week no I, this that's not how we end the podcast usually but go on anyway good luck enjoy the fights <laughs>